Hey everyone, it is Jake, um, and welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him! Hi! Uh, yeah, so this is the final episode of Jake and Jamesy's Chucklefest for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival of 2023. In this episode, I will be talking with you about Your Mother Chucks Rocks and Shells by Angela Voipierre, Joy by Daisy Webb, and Ross Purdy is Your New God by Ross Purdy. Yeah, talk to you again in just a second. Hey, hi, thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, it is just going to be a, a Jake episode again today. Sorry about that, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that is just because uh, James um, is inside the belly of a wolf that he mistook for his grandmother, um, which which I understand. That's that's a justifiable confusion. Um, yeah, but he'll be back soonish. Soon. Um, yeah, he's doing fine. And we'll explain his absence once he returns, which is a looming prospect, so fear not. Uh, but yeah. Otherwise, yeah. So how... Just to, yeah, you know, skate through this introduction of... Uh, yeah, so how was my last couple of... My last couple of days, how have they been? Ah, uh, like, fine. I rewatched 13 The Musical on Netflix because I have depression. I, that's, yeah, watched that. And then afterwards, I also, like, dove into, like, trying to find, like, little factoids about the show because, uh, you know, of the of the movie musical uh, <laughs> by Jason Robert Brown. Uh, because, you know, I just wanted to, you know, I didn't get enough out of a second watching. I needed more. Uh, the, I ended up in, like, one of those, like, I think it was on, like, the Jason Robert Brown website, where it was like, I, I I got there because I was trying to find out if it was actually Deborah Messing's singing voice when she sings in the movie. Um, and it is, which is great. Um, because, yeah, having seen her, how, like, how far she's come from, you know, her singing voice being a joke on Will and Grace, and then the way that they tried to incorporate some level of singing for her in Smash. Um, yeah, and now to see her sounding really impressive in this movie, uh... It's great. It's great that how far she's come. So yeah, can fully recommend again, as I already have, but again, I will advocate for you taking the time to sit down and watch 13, the movie musical because, and this is one of the factoids that I accidentally came across, uh, that two of my favorite songs in the movie were written for the movie. What an astonishing revelation. <laughs> um, anyway, what else? Um, no, I'm thinking like in terms of when I was like racking my brain to think of what could I tell you about in the last couple of days. Literally one of the largest things that's like even happened was like I've discovered like a new like depression activity, which I don't know for the, for those of you out there, you know, wrestling that that gray behemoth. Uh, yeah, w of course it involves lying down, but I found this YouTube channel that is just like two American guys and this Canadian guy and they're like in their mid twenties and they just watch cartoons and talk about them while they're happening. I did not say that this was an intelligent thing that I was doing. I didn't say that it was impressive or interesting. Um, but yeah, that's a hole that I've fallen into. I have a crush on one of them. That's of course embarrassing. Uh, and yeah, they're in their mid twenties and they just sit there and they just talk as they watch things. I, yep, I have spent too much time doing that, but for some reason it comforts my little brain. Oh, I also wanted to give you a follow-up because a surprising amount of people reached out about this and have had follow-up questions about it, about my getting bullied at work fiasco. Um, it's, it's complicated, of course, it's ongoing. Um, the CEO has gotten involved. It's all confidential, tell no one. Um, but you have the right to know. Um, yeah, things have improved a little bit. And I guess the headline of the moment is that the guy that has been bullying me and the other staff um, has recently lost a bunch of teeth. So 
if, if it was any of you that cast that spell, please get in contact with me. I, of course, have no comment on the situation. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's, let's talk about some theatre. I suppose if I'm going to give my last few days a star rating, let's go with... 12 stars out of five because I don't know part of it is to do of course with celebrating Deborah Messing I don't know how many stars she wants but I want to give them all to her and just as a celebration for how much I now know about the show High Guardian Spice um a cartoon that I have never watched but feel like I have and I know too much about it much like I suppose 13 uh yeah okay anyway let's let's talk about some comedy festival shows So I went downstairs at the Butterfly Club uh, because that is one of their performance spaces are, as we've talked about at length, I wasn't just kicking my way into their cellar. Uh, yeah, went downstairs, sat there, went with like, so yeah, went to see Angela Voipier's Your Mother Chucks Rocks and Shells. And I went with a bunch of people that I'd never been to the theater with before. Um, we'd just been having like a nice day. I was like getting to know a good friend of mine. She recently started seeing a man. He is tall and handsome. And they and a bunch of her sort of family members uh, and I had been spending the day together. And then we came and saw this show at the end of our lovely day, which was such a nice way to do it. And even like, even outside of that, <laughs> lovely familial romantic context um, uh, of our friendship affair. It was nice to, to, like anytime you get to go, like the first time that you go to the theater with a person is so, at least for me, a very high stakes scenario. Uh, and, and I don't know, a very like interesting revealing one. Um, even before you start talking afterwards, um, everything from like how their body works while they're watching the show next to you. Um, and um, like, oh my God. And, and, and like how much they laugh, how much they seem ready to laugh. Um, I don't know. There's just, I could write an essay about it and I don't know, maybe I'll hit some sort of career low point where I will. Uh, but anyway, so that, that was very nice to get to see a show with so many wonderful people um, and a tall guy who I was getting to know and liking and still do up until this point uh, and beyond. He said optimistically, not knowing how, how to tell the future. I don't know that you know that the title of the show is like a play on a line from the Exorcist movie. I had an, a feeling that it was, didn't do any further research and then it ended up being the case. So sure, call me a genius if you want. But yeah, like the line in the movie is your mother sucks cocks in hell. Um, and the show that we saw by Angela Voipierre is called Your Mother Chucks Rocks and Shells. And that is how you clunkily explain wordplay. Um, yeah, I have no relationship with The Exorcist. When I think of mothers sucking cocks in hell, the closest thing I jump to is like the part in The Butterfly Effect where I stopped watching The Butterfly Effect, where one of the, like, the children yells at the other child that he's gonna slit his mother's throat in his sleep. I was too frightened and too young to be watching The Butterfly Effect as much as I was into that phase of Ashton Kutcher's career. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's all I had to go off because I've never seen The Exorcist. I'm more of a, like, I'm more of a Human Centipede 2 kind of guy. I'm more of a Saw 6 kind of man. Like, come over, let's watch them both and have a slumber party sometime. But yeah, no, I have no relationship with the Exorcist. Um, but it fortunately did not mean that I missed out on comprehending a lot of what Andrew's show was about. Uh, because she ran through enough of what the Exorcist is um, for us to for us to grasp everything that came afterwards. Um, I was I was fortunately not on the the back foot with that because largely like the the, the featuring of the Exorcist um, in terms of like the way that the kind of like oh, the, the debatably labeled story that then takes place, which sounds insulting, but it isn't intended to. Uh, the the show that happens kind of like the, the Exorcist largely gets utilized as a way of like with two of the characters from the exorcist being almost like mannequins that Ange can 
dress in whatever cerebral tale or metaphor or analogy or image that she's trying to concoct. You know, that they're almost like an algebraic pronumeral that she can uh, use to, to, to help us explore an insomniac fragment of her slumbery existence. Um, yeah, because the show itself is, is, uh, you know, it's about insomnia. It's about kind of like those little tiny baby hours at the start of the day, um, where everyone's supposed to be asleep. Uh, whereas like many people are not, and they are <laughs> floundering in the swamp that Angus show kind of puts on show and, and walks us through. Unfortunately, she's, she's a terrific wordsmith, a wonderful performer and has, yeah, this show itself is kind of like a, a nice parade of, without ever really feeling that episodic or anything, a nice parade of these ideas and images and uh, a replication of the insomniac experience. And yeah, I'm not a person that suffers with insomnia. I don't believe that I ever have, not to jinx anything. My sister gets night terrors, but I'm not my sister. But I certainly, as I think we all do for sure, know what it's like to be kind of like trapped alone with your thoughts at 2am in the dark. Like I, quack, quack, I... Uh, yeah, do not ever let myself be in a completely pitch black room because I'll end up having a panic attack about death. Um, and so, I don't know, that's that. I also, I have like a fleeting, and, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, my grasp of what I'm about to tell you is so shallow that I maybe shouldn't even be bringing it up as if I have any level of expertise, <laughs> but my fleeting understanding and engagement with an education regarding Chinese medicine <laughs> has me just knowing these things that I think is interesting. I don't know. I find it interesting and maybe I'll relay it to you and you might find it interesting as well. But like with the, an element of Chinese medicine is the idea that every organ in the body has an hour of the day that it's like most active and most in need of kind of like replenishment and engagement to put it super duper simply. Um, and it's something that the woman that taught me a lot about the, like the limited amount that I know about Chinese medicine um, said that the, if you are like restless or always waking up at the same time during the night, it could be to do with the organ that corresponds to that time of the night. Um, because like, if you're waking up between like one and 3 AM, um, that could be because your liver has something bad going on or like, um, like from three to five was the lung, like 3 AM to 5 AM is your lungs. And yeah, I, I remember that between 9 AM and 11 AM is the spleen because 9 11, um, I, I think the spleen did it. I think the spleen did 9 11. What a dumb thing to say. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's just another thing that this show got me thinking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, reflecting on <laughs> not being able to sleep, the central premise of the show. Good analysis, Jake. Something really like resonant and wonderful and, and memorable about the show was Angela's character talking to these voiceovers that were representative of her own brain and of the internet uh, for obviously like so many, so many reasons, that sort of thing is, is so pertinent and fascinating, but uh, in the way of like them being the two things that we t like seem to like equally turn to in these times of like insomniac crisis or like boredom or like, you know, you know or like <laughs> all these like early entry-level media analysis things of like these being the two things to which we are forced to turn in moments of, of boredom. Um, but it was done really like cleverly and intelligently and humorously, which was great. And I don't know. And it certainly, uh, that was one of the things that I kept mulling over as well in the, in the days following, like after seeing the show, 
of, I don't know, I spend so much time, I think, and it's part of the reason I had to delete TikTok and, I don't know, part of the reason that I think about my media consumption so often of the thing of, like, and this, of course, is one of those, like, classic privileged-sounding sentences, but envious of people that lived, you know, way back in the past where things like the internet weren't an option. And even, like, thinking of my childhood, um, like, prior to, like, owning a smartphone or a laptop and and being left alone in the dark to have a death-related panic attack, um, but to have to, you know, to, to rely on things other than you know, three hot guys talking about cartoons uh, to calm oneself down. Like, I just, I, I, I worry about how many of my, like, cerebral muscles are atrophying because instead of coping with being left alone, um, we're able to access just these, like, bright electrical charges that we can utilize instead of, you know, <laughs> developing a mind that can handle being awake at 2 a.m., um, which sounds like I'm, I don't know, being, like, being flippantly disrespectful towards the insomnia community. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just a thing that it got me thinking about. Uh, as I've said many a time, um, having favorite things is for idiots and the Von Trapp children. But I'd say, I'd say probably my favorite thing, or like favorite moment from the show, I think, was this, there was so much good in it. And I'd say maybe the like most marvelous part, I guess. Partly I'd say this because it's kind of contingent on like the unique combination of people that were in the space at the time of the show and the specific people in the space. I'd say there was this beautiful part where um, Ange in her, you know, smoggy insomnia, half sleep space was turning to prayer, which is a, a thing I can certainly relate to. I'd say throughout my Catholic upbringing, that was sometimes where I ended up meandering mentally during these moments of 2am-ness. Um, nowadays, it's more in a in a more Wiccan direction, I can assure you. But I, but yeah, there was, she called upon the audience a number of times for a, like a couple of different things to pray for. <laughs> um, and she was speaking to one woman. They were having like a nice conversation. They came to some sort of decision and then a prayer was made. And then she <laughs> and I wanted someone in the audience to, to bring up somebody that had wronged them. And then, and then very, uh, quite comically quickly, this woman just came out with Tammy. And I just thought it was great to have someone that you're so prepared to have a woman curse you, like, for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought that was really fantastic. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, I just want to say that, like, through her characterization, she really, I'd say, and it's a hard thing to pin down and choose the right adjectives for, but I I think she, it, was, it, was, it was a really, it was a fun take on... I'd say what feels like almost like a, like a warm, like alluring, benevolent mania. Um, that, that, that feeling of the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the little bit desperate solitude of a sleepless night. Um, and even just for that, I'm grateful for having seen this performance. Uh, yeah, enjoyed it. I hope you sleep well tonight. Sweet listener. We have two more shows to, to talk about, but it felt like a, a relevant wish. Yeah. Talk to you again in just a second. So I went to the Butterfly Club um, on a different evening to the one where I chucked all those rocks at your mother. Uh, I That's a reference to the title of the last show, not not a, a threat or a confession. I, yeah, went to the Butterfly Club, went downstairs to see Daisy Webb's stand-up comedy show called Joy. Um, for this, for, for the comedy festival, I don't know if, if this has been obvious or not, but James and I um, and all the other people incorporated with, with talking about all these shows kind of like tried to avoid, and avoid is too strong a word, but like <laughs> we were like more consciously trying to pursue opportunities to see shows that weren't strictly 
speaking, like stand-up comedy uh, is, is what we tried to set out to do because like, you know, like ostensibly like this podcast is about seeing theater as opposed to, as opposed to seeing stand-up comedy, which of course is in the same family, but, but kind of like, you know, to kind of distinctly its own beast. Um, and, and I'm just bringing that up in case you find it interesting, but yeah, but the moment that Daisy invited us to see the show, um, I, yeah, immediately wanted to go because, uh, for a number of reasons, um, one of the large ones being that I saw Daisy in Thrive, that show that if you remember it, it was like the verbatim piece about a bunch of different like queer stories that our pal Conk was in alongside Daisy. And yeah, I remember part of what I hopped on about when talking about that show was just how strong and marvelous and watchable that ensemble was. So yeah, yeah. So when Daisy reached out, it was like, 100% want to see what happens when you're, you know, left to your own devices. And as I found out in the panel after watching Thrive, um, Daisy said that she isn't, I don't know, at that point didn't really consider herself to be an actor, but more of a, yeah, a radio personality and comedian. So if, if that's how amazing Daisy can be while doing something that they don't consider to be, you know, their bailiwick, uh, it's, yeah, imagine what could happen when you see them do what, what, what she believes herself to be best at. So, yeah, so when to see Joy by Daisy Webb. I went to see it by myself because how joyful is that? Uh, yeah, went in, sat down, and the stage is, I hope by now that you are familiar with how the downstairs stage of the Butterfly Club looks through either our clunky, terrible descriptions of what the performance space looks like, or, like, hopefully you've been fortunate enough to see something in that space, which, again, I adore. Uh, yeah, but yeah, empty stage, um, some pop songs playing, and on stage there's, like, this very sweet little, like, banner that's been, like, homemade and strung up, like, sort of, like... <laughs> at the very back on the left. I just, I don't know. I want you to know that it's there and it says joy on it. Uh, yeah, eventually Daisy comes out and then the show begins. Um, I want to flag that like throughout the, maybe it's wrong to say this at the start. The show's great. That's not the part I'm worried about telling you. I want you to also factor in the fact that while this show is happening, I'm surrounded by distractions. I'm not going to say that any of these things are good or bad, but I'm going to say that Daisy did have to contend with all of these things in order to maintain the audience's attention and, you know, chuckles and whatnot, which, yeah, again, <laughs> I want to be super duper clear and loud in saying that this show is really fantastic and I will get into why I felt that way. Um, I really, really enjoyed watching this unique piece of stand-up comedy, but these are things that, 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 that I'm about to list for you are things that <laughs> did not necessarily support that experience going as smoothly as perhaps it could have. Um, so there was a man sitting in front of me who I assume is a theater critic and you know how I feel about them. <laughs> But let's not get hung up on that. Um, but yeah, so he was writing notes for the vast majority of the performance. There was a lady sitting to the left of me, whom I'm sure is a certain, like, a, definitely a wonderful person. And maybe it's some type of ignorant for me to have a problem with what I'm about to describe, but she's one of those people that alongside chuckles and claps, she also likes clicking along to her giggles. Um, I understand that in particular communities and in particular pockets of theatrical intake, it's like <laughs> a regular thing to be doing and it shows an additional level of support for the performer. But I certainly cannot unwire a clicky, like <laughs> someone's clicks tr like throughout a performance being for some reason, and maybe you don't feel this way, but I do for some reason in a way that I am hoping to unpick because as we learned in Legally Blonde 2, and, you know, in my experiences of understanding things like, you know, beat poetry and, like, these different types of performance where clicking is a very accepted, lovely way of showing support for a performer, I can't somehow untether it from this idea of if someone clicks, they want your attention. And if I hear a person clicking, as much as they are clicking along to potentially Daisy Webb being remarkable, which she is, but to, to be clicking along in the audience of a thing that's going well, 
I just feel like you, some, you just want me to look at you. And that I find frustrating and a very watered down version of narcissism. I don't know. That's just my take on that. Furthermore, on the topic of clicking, uh, which, and this is the thing that I'm truly realizing about this now, <laughs> is I feel like to click in an audience suggests that you're a little too comfortable in that audience. I don't know. And maybe it's similar to when you click a waiter at a rest, like a restaurant. It's like, this isn't your restaurant. I'm not in your house bringing you soup because you live here and pay my wages. And I don't know, to be clicking in an audience, for me, I guess, brings up feelings of like, you came here to see them be good. They didn't turn up in the hopes that you would click. I don't know. That's that. On top of that, repeatedly, the stage lights kept going out. And it seemed as if it was some sort of like technical fault. I, I super duper doubt that it was due to any sort of ineptitude on anyone's part. I think it was just some sort of weird electrical thing. It's an old building and plugs are complicated. I don't understand how a lighting desk works and I doubt I ever will. I'm a simple man, my brain's a pine cone. Several unexpected blackouts and the tension that surrounds it. It's like, but again, it's a credit to Daisy that this was all handled so marvelously. And, oh my god, it was just like, yeah, and as much as me and my easily befuddled noggin had to handle these, like, two very low-grade assaults on my capacity to pay attention, um, I got through it very bravely, and, again, that is a credit to how marvellous Daisy is on stage. Now, let's have me shut up a bit about <laughs> all the things that would not bother a regular person and talk about how great Joy was. Oh, and there was also a woman in the audience taking photos. I'm sure she was allowed to, and I have no ill will towards her, or clicky lady, or potentially evil theater critic man. Uh, these are just things that, you know, beef out the picture of my experience that I'm now sharing with you. Um, okay, as I mentioned in the surprisingly sexual episode with Elizabeth Brennan the other day, um, the show begins with Daisy coming out and asking us to, like, think about and then say out loud something that brings us joy. As I said then, and as I say now, I made the lame choice of saying the name of my friend Dominic Weintraub. I said it very, very quietly, and now I'm whispering it to you as well. I said Dominic Weintraub, and then the show started. Um, one of my first feelings once the show began was like, it was just really, really nice to see Daisy on stage again. Like it was immediately just like, yeah, it was like that familiar thing of like, oh, I remember what was so wonderful about getting to see you the first time I saw you on stage. And it was just so wonderful to get a sequel to that experience. Um, there was a portion of the show that like, because a lot of, well, like a, a fair bit of the show itself is to do with uh, elements surrounding Daisy's trans experience, which is one that, of course, I've not, like, you know, embarked upon myself. Um, I'm a non-binary person, but, you know, have not transitioned in any sort of direction. Um, and, yeah, it was it was cool to not just to get, you know, uh, ideas of what that experience is like for a person and for, and for this specific person, but to also be in a space where it's like there was a whole section of the, 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 the show that was just educating us about like words that maybe we didn't know. And there was no, <laughs> there was no sense of like condescension. There was no sense of like, oh, you dumb idiots. It was, it was very, very sweet. Um, and maybe it, I don't know, part of it was informed by Daisy, Daisy's experience being a substitute teacher, one that she abandoned, which I relate to because as you may well all know, I was studying teaching for a while and oh golly I gave up oh boy did I give up oh not for me <laughs> um yeah but no it was nice to learn in that environment because I think that that type of feeling anytime you get to like learn about things that you feel like you should already know in a way that doesn't make you feel like a stupid person is just like nice even in the conceptual sense of like I think part of what stops some people from being open to things that they aren't familiar with which I think is you know the birthplace of so much prejudice is that people's fear of looking stupid and it's so much easier to just hate someone other than us 
ask them questions. And anytime education has that like vibe to it, like I feel like so much hate and bigotry is born of poor education and people having like a like a lazy grasp on their desire to learn. Like the death of curiosity is the birth of bigotry, I think. Um, Anyway, that's it. But yeah, so I, I enjoyed learning words off Daisy. Uh, and yeah, one of them being like, I didn't realize that like an egg is a person that is has yet to... I'm going to look up the definition so I don't get it wrong, but I believe I have a grasp on this. Yeah, knowyourmeme.com has verified my suspicions regarding the thing that I effectively learned from Daisy is that an egg is a person who hasn't realized that they're trans yet. Uh, yeah. Which is wonderful, and I just want to say that in like part of the in part of Daisy's farewell, um, she just pointed out that if she managed to crack some eggs that evening, that there are resources that those people can turn to, which I just just kind of was like a nice like I don't know my mind wants to say like splash of cold water in the face, but that's not the right analogy or expression, um. But the thought of like yeah, it's absolutely factual. Like what Daisy did in this show in which so much of it was like educating us about transness, but also the very personal accounts um, of Daisy's experience of her transness um, could absolutely wake a person up to something so profound inside of themselves. And it was cool to be present at a, at a piece of work that had such a tremendous potential in that sort of way. Um, something that I really loved about the show and something that I love about Daisy as a stand-up co- comedian um, is just the pace of delivery. Like, it's so nice to... And I'm certain that you've had this, whether or not it's a TV show or a stand-up comedian or whatever it is that... And maybe it's not about language, but about... I'll say the thing first. Is, like, the, the rate at which words come out of Daisy's mouth happens at a pace that I feel like must be similar with the speed at which I think or something. Because it was that sort of thing where it's like, oh, good, this is exactly the pace that I want to be at um, in order to be, like... <laughs> Like dealing with things, mulling over things, ingesting things, digesting things, and, uh, and taking in new things at the same time. Like it's, I don't know, my, my mind wants to make a human centipede reference, but hold back, Jake, hold back. But again, anyone, come over, watch the second one with me. We'll have a good time, I promise. Um, but yeah, just like the rate of delivery and even like irrespective of content, the, yeah, the speed at which the words came out was at an unfamiliarly wonderful pace. The whole show too, in a similar way, just like it came out in a way that just seemed as if it really solidified the notion that Daisy appears to just be like a very, very funny person. Like it didn't, it didn't smack of like, oh, what a, what like a well-polished script this is. It really, and maybe again, I don't talk about stand-up comedy very often. So maybe this all sounds very pedestrian and rudimentary, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like a performance of a funny person and it didn't feel like a bunch of like well-crafted jokes in a row. It, it just seemed like really, really funny things coming out of the mouth of a person who knows how to tell a joke and is just funny all the time. Um, and I, I, that too was like solidified by like during one of the lengthier blackouts, <laughs> uh, she took the opportunity to tell us a story about a ghost tour that she went on. Um, yeah. <laughs> during one of the more distinctly educational chunks of the show, um, I learned a bunch of new words, one of them being muffing, which is like a sex act that, um, which, yeah, again, after like, <laughs> based on like research that I've done since as well to bolster my understanding of this practice, it's um, one that's like rigorously endorsed by online trans individuals. Um, and it oftentimes is presented as an option for people having penetrative sex with trans women. Um, is the practice of inserting like a finger or a penis into the like the inguinal canals that exist behind the penis from which the testicles originally descended? 
and it, it apparently has a surprising amount of stretch in it. Uh, yeah, so yeah, now you know that that like, option is on the table. Um, yeah, that is what muffing is. Now you know what it is. And I'm really glad that I do just for the sake of having it in my brain. It's just like, you know, <laughs> a welcome member of the community out there, I think. Uh, yeah, and I guess just, I'll just briefly mention two stories that Daisy told that I really enjoyed. Uh, one of them being about a time that Daisy ended up, like, spending time with a guy, um, because, because Daisy is gay, um, accidentally ended up on this date with a guy for a while and that she didn't realise it was a date, and then, yeah, towards, you know... <laughs> Looking at the traditional trajectory of how a date goes, <laughs> um, yeah, got to, you know, like, towards, you know, the, the climactic point, and that's when it sort of, like, hit all of a sudden that a date was happening unbeknownst to her. And, yeah, it was just, like, a very, very funnily told story. Um, yeah, and, you know, like, a familiar-ish, like, resonant one, because, yeah... That's, that's certainly happened to me, and certainly the exact opposite has happened to me, debatably more frequently than the former option. And, and also, <laughs> this, uh, yeah, something that also stuck with me too was hearing about how, <laughs> sort of jokingly, Daisy had planned, had, had planned to like, you know, as a means of coming out as trans, one of the potential options for doing so was just to sort of reveal her boobs one day to her family. Uh, and, yep, yeah, they're just, like, I don't know, I related to it a bit because one of my, like, early on plans in terms of, like, thinking of, for me, what felt like a cowardly way of me potentially, like, coming out to my family was to just, like, rock up with a boyfriend one day and then, like, over dinner just declare, like, oh, he's not just my friend, we're, like, we're, like, you know, boyfriends. And then, I don't know, for some reason I thought that that was, like, a safer... Obviously, more cowardly way to do it. And I don't know, somehow felt like it would be an easier way to do it. You know, instead of going the traditional route of, you know, just ruining a nice family evening around the television by confessing to your gayness. And and what a beautiful tradition that is, by the way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I had a, yeah, a child brain. So I guess my thinking was that, oh, if I have my boyfriend there when I announce my homosexuality, then... My family won't say anything violently homophobic because they don't want to ruin dinner for our guest, I suppose? Anyway, uh, yeah, feel free to forget that story. Um, yeah, it's, it's unlikely to serve you in the, in, in the days to come. I do just want to quickly clarify that I did not follow through with that coming out plan. Um, I, I went with a whole different style of messy of one. Um, anyway, uh, so me and beautiful British Johnny went to UBQ, which is a bar in Collingwood. And apparently if you go to UBQ and then you go down enough stairs, you end up in this dungeon where apparently they do performances of things because that's where we were told to sit in order to watch Ross Purdy is your new God, a comedy show by Ross Purdy. Uh, so we went in there, we sat down, um, there's probably like 11 people in the audience, which for reasons that I'll get to, I feel like was a beautiful number of people to have there. But yeah, so we were sitting in this dungeon and there's a risen platform in the middle. There's a big TV on the right. And then there's like this like standalone tall curtain on the left, um, like on the left-hand side of the little thrust stage. Uh, just, yeah, helping you paint a picture of what that is. As the show begins, the TV like flickers to life and then we get this like rapid, messy montage of very recognizable, like, well, at least to me, very recognizable, like SBS clips, like clips from SBS shows that I feel like largely were on air 
in like the very early 2000s would be the stab I would take in the dark, quack quack, I'd say, um, because I just, it, it took me immediately back to like sitting in like the, the weird little room that we had in my family house that like wasn't quite a room for anything, but there was like a couch and a television in there. Um, and I would like go in there whenever I needed to watch something strange or when I would go in on like a Monday night and watch South Park and then whatever came on after South Park, which was never really like super consistent, but you know, like Anson Enos, you know, like all these people that we've grown to love over the years through, you know, sometimes just accidentally ending up watching SBS. Anyway, uh, yeah, but then Ross comes out, he's this like guy in like a pink balaclava and he's talking to us. And then we kind of like what the premise of the show seems to be set up as being is he has seven pitches, um, like pitches, like P-I-T-C-H-E-S, um, you know, like Pitch Perfect 3. He has like seven pitching opportunities to get a show on SBS. But yeah, but then what proceeds to occur is just like this, like avalanche, like this cavalcade of just like, like crude, aggressive, like somewhat confronting, like anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist, I don't know, anti-fascist, rhetoric and propaganda and it was really really fun it was like <laughs> it was like a like a little punk operetta like if you rip the music out and replace it with puppets there were puppets there were puppets they popped up above the red curtain that i mentioned earlier on the left they were operated by and constructed by the most beautiful puppet maker in the country whom i've mentioned a number of times his name is jackson ether and yeah he yeah made these two beautiful puppets one was a brain and one was a tumor that also lived inside of one of those injectables bins that you get in public bathrooms sometimes and yeah and while the show did like it's like sat quite neatly in this very sensible structure of here are seven ideas that i think are worthy of getting on <laughs> maybe like a like a mythological version of what SBS is um it too as well had like a like a sprawling octopusy like smokiness to its structure and the things that it wanted to say while being very succinct um <laughs> I somehow feel myself being not very articulate and sounding as if I didn't even see the show I just wanted to you know hit every base but I just and let me get quickly back to why it was wonderful to be in like what felt like 11 people in this dungeon with Ross and Jackson um was just the fact of like it was it felt like because the show itself is so like not absurd in the genre sense, but absurd in the, it's like, it's delivery and nature. Like, I, because I, this is not the type of comedy that I'm accustomed to being witness to, I was required to, uh, I, I don't know, in order, like, in order to make sense of it and into even like preemptively sort of like mentally preparing myself, how am I going to explain this to people that are like listening to the podcast or that I like run into on the bus? Like, how will I like, explain to them why I enjoyed and was so flummoxed by Ross's show? And all I could do was like in the early like minutes of watching it, I was like, okay, what is this like? And it was like, you know that part in Rent? Sorry to be immediately the gayest person ever. You know in Rent where like Adina Menzel, like you know when Maureen is doing that like protest and she does that like long number where there's like a cow that thinks you should jump over the moon. It's like if that, <laughs> take that and then instead make her Ross and put a pink balaclava on her and have her have, have like a lot of concerns about the state of the world, you know, and, and just make it a little bit more punky, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Re replace her crop top and leopard print with, yeah, with a pink balaclava and a pair of wonderful puppets. <laughs> um, yeah. And outside of socio-political concerns, uh, <laughs> there's talk of like, 
um, like fast food consumption. Um, he invents something called Uber Feats, which, yes, good guess, is a way to get severed feet delivered to yourself. Um, yeah, and amidst this collection of, I don't know, like, like rotting, but also electric kind of sketches of, of what really feels like, like dirty marvelousness from, from inside Ross's mind. Uh, there are also this footage of a focus group that he seems to have gotten footage of that are responding to things that he's pitching to them. <laughs> and then even that concept kind of melts towards the end of, end of the show as well. Uh, I think part of what I find challenging about trying to relay to you the, the, the content of this piece is the way that it was so like marvelously sprawling. And also like, I feel like it does Ross's like, I don't know. He's, Articulation of these things and his way of linguistically exploring these concepts a disservice because I feel like in the act of summarizing his perspective, I leave out the vast majority of what makes his perspective so excellent. And and I also as well, and part of what <laughs> what 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 got elevated in the piece by being in this dungeon was the fact of like it feeling like quite a, like a scary piece in a way, like in a way there was a level to which I felt like I was kind of like a prisoner of this man's mind. And uh, certainly by like at the end of it, once I was safe again, I was very grateful for having been there. It definitely as well. And part of what I loved about there being like 11 of us there. And, and I hope it was a really well attended show because I hope a lot of people saw this so that I can run into one of them and get to talk to them about it because it was, yeah, it was like scary in the way that it was like bombastic and unpredictable. And he himself seems to be occupied by both <laughs> a lot of whimsy and a lot of anger. And that too is a fun little cyclone to have inside of a man. I like the way he uses his body. Like he, he does this little whimsical walk a couple of times, which almost, I don't know, is immediately conjured images of like a Christmas elf that's decided to lose interest in Christmas and instead wants to go gun down a family. Uh, this seems simple, but he used repetition in ways that I really, really appreciated. <laughs> um, and as I've said before, I really, really can't stand repetition as a tactic of really anything. Like I'm sure there are examples if I thought, I guess in CPR repetition is good, but I feel like in theater, I often find it tiresome. Um, I will not watch Russian Doll. I know it's a TV series, but I still won't do it. I will not watch Groundhog Day, the movie, or or the musical um, due to my impatience for repetition, but I, I'm i gonna give Ross a pass this time <laughs> and in the future, you know what? I'll give him a blank check to do what he wants. But uh, yeah, in that way, in, in the same passage in which he exemplified wonderful repetition, he also coined the phrase ejaculate as a way of referring to lactation, which I just think is kind of genius. Um, because of Jackson's beautiful puppets and his masterful, you know, collaborative performative work with them, I finally got to like grasp and understand and analyze what I, like one of the very small, it's a small list of things that I love about puppets. Uh, but one of them being, you know, that laugh, like I suppose, I don't know how related Muppets and puppets are, but I'd say Muppets are especially prone to doing this. That laugh they do where they just sort of like hold their mouth totally open and jiggle from side to side. I just have never had like a chance to sit down and think about the fact that I really, really like that so much. And yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Oh, here is something that we have to urgently discuss. There was a part where this gentleman got brought on stage to shoot Ross. <laughs> um, he got like given a gun and was told to shoot Ross. Um, and he did it. 
a bunch of times. Like, he just shot him. Like, obviously, I, this is not me telling you that I witnessed a murder. It was like, there were no bullets or anything in the gun, but it was like, shoot me. And then the guy in the audience shot Ross, like, at least three times with no hesitation. And it was just like, it really took me back to when I saw Princess Truffles. When I saw Princess Truffles, I did not think I would talk about Princess Truffles as much as I have since seeing Princess Truffles. But it was that one woman clown show where she couldn't find a boyfriend. And that's... And I often bring it up because it ends with like the like vast majority of the audience being brought up to dance in a conga line. Anyway, let's not get sidetracked by that. Um, but yeah, but there was a part in Princess Truffles where she decides that she wants to kill herself for a number of reasons, one of them being her chronic loneliness. And one of the methods of suicide that she chooses is to like Cleopatra style get bitten by an Egyptian asp. And then during her, you know, suicide attempt, she comes up to me, this like doofus that I am that sat too close to the action. Um, she came up with the snake and was like, hold the snake and get it to bite me. It was like a, like a plush toy snake. And yeah. And I said, I said to princess truffles, I was like, your majesty, I, I, I know I, I don't want to do that to you. Uh, because that's, that's instinctively, I do not want to murder people. I think that's a thing that I can like honestly say about myself and yeah, so for that reason, I just wanted to bring up and let you stew on the idea of like, if a performer walks up to you during their show, hands you a snake or hands you a gun and they are like, kill me with this. Of course, knowing that it will do them no real world harm, how would you respond? Because I don't know, based on this precedent, it's gonna happen to you soon. If you see enough shows, I'd say once every six months, you'll get a chance to kill somebody. And, and it's up to you to make the right decision. Um, but yeah, to bring it back to Ross Purdy, I, he's, he's, I'm certainly a fan now. He's like a, like a bizarre, energetic, renegade creature. And I, I think if you get a chance to give him a chance, I think you should give him a chance because I don't know what, there's every possibility that it'll be a bit like too confronting for you or a bit too like jagged or strange, or, you know, it could be a bunch of things that make it not the sort of thing that you want to see a bunch of times. Um, but I think you'll certainly find it engaging and bizarre. But yeah, there's poetry to it and emotion to it and honesty to it and courage certainly um, to do anything this odd requires, I think, a level of passion and courage that I think is really rare to find in people. Um, and so, yeah, for that reason and for a bunch of other ones that I think I've, I've certainly tried to make clear to you, uh, yeah, whatever his next show is, I'm certainly going to be there. Um, and, and I think you should consider giving it a chance as well, because it's the sort of thing that I think, I don't know, it's absolutely not for everybody, but I think the people that it's for will be so, so grateful that they found it. All right. Oh my God. That is, that is the end of Jake and Jamesy's Chuckle Fest for 2023 for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And look, it was a significantly Jamesless experience. I can certainly admit that to you. I think that's a thing that we all noticed. But look, that wolf was wearing a pretty convincing disguise. So we, we, we can't hold anything against James in that regard. And, and he'll be back. He'll be back soon. Um, thank you, sweet, sweet listener, so, so much. Because, yeah, this is pointless without you and doesn't exist without you. And, yeah, I hope some of this has meant anything to you in terms of this this comedy festival and our discussions of it and yeah i want to definitely thank as well the artists who invited us along to see what they're up to you know um because oh my god because it's yeah it's just always such a privilege to 
get to see what people are brave and generous and skilled enough to to plonk on a stage uh yeah so yeah i hope yeah all of you out there have had a wonderful festival and a really lovely day whatever it is that you're getting up to and yeah just thank you again for being here it's really really sweet and lovely and generous of you to you know <laughs> listen to these noises that we make for your ears so yeah um, as always, um, I may already disagree with everything I just said, and friends don't let friends become theatre critics. Um, speak to you super duper soon. Bye.